Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. So as we get started today, let me pose a question, a question that that I heard this week, and I want you to just kind of mull it around as, as we get started today. Don't you think it's interesting that the one person that did not need help at all to do life or especially to do ministry, he found 12 helpers. Think about that. Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, didn't need help for anything, and yet he he found 12 guys and he refused to do his ministry, his work, alone. Now, why is that? Well, there's a couple of reasons, I'm sure, but let me just throw out some, some things that we see. One is there was a, he, he found a real joy, and you see that in, in, in the way that he walked. He found a joy in seeing these guys, these, these helpers of his, these disciples, that truly began to see what life was meant to be. They were beginning to see that life was bigger than them, and they had a purpose, and they, he, the lights were coming on. There was a great joy in that, but also in that he was giving us an example he was showing us that this is how, this is how I, I expect this to continue. He actually tells us, one of some of his last words, that this idea of discipleship, what he did, making disciples, that is the way that his kingdom was going to, to advance. That's the way he, he had determined this was going to work. Is that people, but let's make sure we understand the understanding of discipleship. Discipleship is not uh, just a pupil-student relationship. Like, okay, I'm going to give you some information, make sure you write it down, and there'll be a test to remember. That's, that's not discipleship. Discipleship is, is friendship. Discipleship is a relationship that he had with these guys that was centered around this understanding of, of ministry. And it's important that we remember that everything that Jesus did takes us back to there were things to learn, and he, he taught them, and he corrected them, and all of that, but he did it through the avenue of this, this relationship, this friendship. When we come to the book of, of Romans, we're going to see Paul understood that. And Paul realized that the things that he was called to do in ministering to people, it, it happened in the context of, of relationships. And, and so what we're going to talk about today is the, the theme, if you would, is the heart of ministry. Let me define that term in case you're unfamiliar with it, because there are some misconceptions. The idea of ministry, for instance. Just we say the word ministry. By definition, ministry is another word for, for serving, for service. As you look in the, old, in the New Testament, that word ministry is the word for table waiters, those that they serve tables. It's another word we use for deacons. It's the idea of a, a minister, a ministry. But here's what a lot of misconceptions, myths, if you would, perhaps about this idea of ministry, uh, a couple that I know. One is that when it comes to ministry, you need to leave that to the professionals. In other words, there are people that are paid to do ministry. That's their jobs, right? And so we leave it to them, and you do the work. And, and then along with that it would be the fact that ministry is something that, that we do here on Sundays. This is ministry, and it is. But it doesn't stop here. But those are two. And what we're going to find, Paul, throughout his writings, dispels those myths in several ways. Let me give you one of the best examples I know. Ephesians, his letter to his friends at Ephesus, chapter number 4, Paul tells that the leaders are given to the church. There are pastors and teachers. There are those who are called, but they're given to the church for a specific reason. He says, to equip his people. That's the saints. We talked about last week, those who follow Christ. They are to equip his people, the saints, for what? Somebody tell me, the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. 
Here's something we can never forget, and we say it every once around here, but just remind you. Every member of Jesus' body, if you're a follower of Christ, every member of the body is a minister. All of us are in ministry. My vocation, it puts me in ministry as a career. Your vocation may have you driving a truck or teaching a class, but all of us are ministers. As followers of Christ, all of us are in ministry. And it's important that if we're all in ministry, that we understand what is ministry. What is the true heart of ministry? What is it about? Is it the things we do? Is it the, the, the things that we, we, have, we wrap ourselves around? What is ministry? And that's what I think Paul introduces to us as we go back to Romans now, back to Romans chapter number 1. And there's a phrase that we're going to kind of focus on and then, and then unpack it and look around it. And that's found in verse number 9. And I believe Paul here is giving a, a description, if you would, of the heart of ministry. Look what he says. God, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. I think uh, wrapped in those words, Paul is showing us what, if you're a minister, you're a follower of Christ, it wraps around the, the concepts we find in this verse. Let's unpack this a little bit. That's the second time already in the book of Romans that we've seen that word serve. Remember in verse number one, last week, Paul, as he writes the letter, he says, hi, I'm Paul and I'm a bond servant. That's his first, first description of himself is I am a, a, and that's a different word for servant than we've already seen. It's a word for one who was uh, by choice says, I'm going to serve this person forever. So Paul is saying by choice, I'm all in for Jesus. He's got everything on me. I am a bond servant by my will of Jesus Christ. Now we have this this different word here, he says that, hi Paul, as he's introduced himself, but now he says, I serve God. And that word serves a different word. It's a word in the Greek that we would pronounce latruo, which simply means a, someone who's actually hired. It has a lot closer definition of maybe an employee. It is a servant, but a hired one. But here's what you find in the New Testament. Every time that this word is used, it could also be used, another synonym would be the word worship. I, I try to explain that. When they talked about this word service, their first mind, this word latruo, they were talking about what the priests did in the temple when they served the people, when they would serve at the sacrifices or would serve at the bread. They call the services of the temple. That's that word latruo. So Paul, here's what, here's what Paul's saying. I serve, I worship with my spirit in the gospel of God. I serve, I worship. There's this idea that both of those are connected. There's a very famous verse in, in Romans, and we'll get to it in several weeks. But I want to show you what this verse is. Romans chapter number 12, verse number 1. I want to show you what it means. He's, he's going to tell us, I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable latruo, service. Or, very, very easily translated, and many translations say, or your true and proper worship. So what Paul's saying, let's go back to chapter 1 and verse number 9. He's saying, God, whom I worship. I worship him, he says in verse number 9, with my, in my spirit. Or you could literally say, with everything that I have. All that I have, I am worshiping God with all of my heart. There's an idea. If we go back to that. Go to that verse, if you would. He tells us that he's doing it with all of his heart. In other words, go next, uh, two more. I want him to see them. There we go. Serve with my spirit, with all of my heart in the gospel of his son. So there's an energy involved in this verse, but let's not miss that, okay? He's saying, I serve God. I worship him with everything that I've got. But I want you also to notice there's another focus in this verse, and that is in the gospel of his son. 
Not only is he talking about worshiping God, but notice some translations put in preaching the gospel of his son. Or one translation actually says in spreading the good news of his son. So I want you to see there's two things of service here that Paul's talking about. One is I worship God. That's it. I I serve him. I give my service, but I do so as I am ministering, as I am working, as I am telling others about the gospel of God. So what Paul's telling us is there's a worship involved here, and God is the one who does the worship, but the way that we worship is how we connect, how we relate to other people within those around us. So let me give you a simple summary of what I've learned just from this phrase. Here's how I would put it. We worship God... When we serve others for the sake of the good news, we worship God when we serve others for the purpose of the gospel, for the purpose of the good news. Ministry is worship. The heart of ministry, don't miss this, it's not just doing something. Ministry is truly worship. And it's worship as it, as it relates, it's worship to God, but as God connects it, it's also going to involve this serving of other people. Here, here's what you got to understand. The, the real ministry begins when your heart touches the heart of someone else. You want to talk about the heart of ministry, discipleship, real, real Christian growth is when your heart, by God's power, touches the heart of someone else. That's when relationship, that's when discipleship happens. That's what Paul is doing. Is he's connecting now. He's got to give them some great teaching, but he wants to make sure you understand that this, the heart of this is a relationship that we have, that that's how God is intended for us to grow, to know him. Often when I preach, I like to give a word picture, something that I I often will bring up an object. So today, here's the object. Look at the person next to you. You want a word picture? The heart of ministry is sitting right next to you. It's your life touching someone else's. It's your heart connecting with the heart of someone else. This this room is full of what the heart of ministry is all about. The heart of ministry is worshiping God by serving people. It comes down to people, to relationships. And that's what Paul does from the very beginning. What's interesting is sometimes Paul, by just virtue of some of the things he says, has a reputation of being this hard person. Because he, he said some things that he wasn't afraid. He didn't pull punches when he talked. And you'll see it in Romans, see it throughout. But But Paul is very clear in in helping us understand that he realized that those hard words, even in in the harshness, was because of his concern for for people. Paul understood the the cliche, and many of you have, have spouted it and you know it, and that is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Do you understand what Paul's doing in the very first of this massive letter? Is he saying, folks, I want you to know right off the bat, I'm going to teach you some things, but I want you to know that I, that I care for you, that there is something about a relationship, a connection that we have that is so important. I don't know how many times I've read Romans, studied it, I've taught it in different ways, and I, and I read through these verses this week, and I had to put my Bible down and say, whoo, this is a big one, God. Boy, Paul took this, this time to tell us, and, and I realize sometimes in my life, I, maybe I'm just going to speak to me, so if I am, you all just, just look at me with those harsh eyes and say, I knew you had problems. Okay, just do that. That's fine. But here's the truth. God said, you've got to hear this, dude. Ministry, sometimes, and maybe, it is, maybe that's a job hazard of, because of the vocation, but sometimes I forget, and I get more wrapped up in the what of ministry than the who of ministry. 
And I think Paul brings us back to make us remember that ministry, the heart of ministry is, is people. It, it's about the re- connections, about the relationships. Let, let me just throw out some scenarios. Is it possible that you've been in church a while and ministry to you, serving, is either boring, unfulfilling, or maybe just overwhelmingly exhausting and just really don't see energy for it? I don't know. I'm just going to suggest, as in my life, that maybe we got the what and the who confused. We forget that it's not just what we do and getting everything done. It's not the task. It's the who. And God has us called to be ministering to people. Oh, people are overwhelming. I get that. But we've we got to understand that there is, a, there is a who that's connected to this. Maybe it's, it's a fact that you, just, you, you still don't even see why ministry is even that important, why I really need to, to go all, and, and God wants you to see that he has a reason for this. He has a reason for you. He's got a call on your life, as Paul did, and it's going to involve connecting with people. So I think it's good for all of us. I know it's been good for me to be reminded of the who of the heart of ministry is, is people, and that's what we're going to talk about. In this, in this passage, we're going to walk through. Today, we're going to look at six statements that Paul makes. The first three, in my opinion, Paul describes his heart for ministry, what it looks like. Just show you. This is, if you have a heart for people, you're, you're gonna, it's going to include at least these three things that Paul makes a statement about. And then the last three statements are, I believe, his motivation, why he has this heart. And I'm hoping before we're done that you, you're, you're, you're motivated to let God restore or maybe develop this heart of, of ministry with you. So let's go back. Verse number eight. Here's how he begins. He says, first, let me just stop right there. Th- that's important. First could be one of two things. It could be a list. This is first, and then we got two, three, four, five later. But what you notice in context, he doesn't give a list. So the other way that the first means is first means priority. This is something I want to, first of all, before I start anything else, Paul says, I've, got, I've told you who I am now. Before I go any further, first thing, here's what I want us to get right off the bat of first importance. Let me begin with this. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. First statement Paul makes is, I am thankful for you. Now, remember what we're talking about, this heart of ministry. So all of you ministers out there, which is all of us if you're a follower of Christ, but all of you, maybe you're struggling a little bit. Let, let's, let's think about the people that are around us. That's the ministry. How often would we say, I am thankful for those people? that I'm ministering, not just ministering with, ministering to. I'm, I'm truly thankful for those people. Now, why is that priority? Well, I mean, he says this first. First thing is, I want you to know I'm thankful for you. Well, it, that's a pattern through Scripture. God always or often would set, tell us when you start things, start with gratitude. Start with giving thanks. Um, it, he says, pray for all things in with thanksgiving. He goes, God is good, so let's give him thanks. There's just this pattern throughout scripture that thanks is a great way to start that. It's a great way to, to, to thank, but, but he is thankful specifically. Look what he says. I'm thankful that, that the reports of your faith are good, that, that people are talking about you. I'm thankful for the things that God is doing in, in, in your life. Now, you look at it, maybe he's talking, maybe it's a exaggeration, hyperbole. He's saying that your faith is being reported all over the world. Really, Paul? All over the world? I mean, that seems a little unrealistic, doesn't it? But, but it's, it's possible, though. Think about it. The world, as they knew it, was a lot smaller then. 
They didn't know much outside of the Roman kingdom and a few adjacent. So they, the world was a lot smaller place. And Paul was quite a traveler. So here's what I think he's trying to say is everywhere I go, I'm hearing about your faith. Everywhere I go, your faith is being reported that things, good things are happening. And remember, Paul's never met these people yet. Everything he's getting is from the reports of others. And he says, I am thankful for you because I'm hearing of the faith of the things that God is doing in, in your life. He, 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 have you heard about those Roman Christians? Have you heard about the way that God is working? That's what Paul's hearing as he's traveling. He says, I, I'm thankful for what I hear God, God doing in your life. What's interesting, in my opinion, if you look through, Paul writes 13 letters in the New Testament. And all but one of those letters has somewhere in it, and usually close to the beginning, a, thank, a thankfulness for the people he's writing to. He gives thanks for them. Now, this wasn't like a template, like, I give thanks, you know, that wasn't, it, it was part of a letter as he started talking to these people. But what you'll find is each one of the letters is a little bit tweaked. It's thankful for a, a little bit different. Let me give you an example. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, when he wrote to the church of Corinth, he says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Now the Romans, he said, I'm thankful because your faith is all over the world. To them, he's talking about I'm thankful because of the way God is working and the things God has equipped you to do and those kind of... And it's, but what's interesting is... Corinth, the church he's writing to, let's put it mildly, they had some issues. The book of Corinthians is, is a pretty scathing book in a lot of ways. He, he puts some correction, but he pretty much says, you guys got to stop some of this and start. I mean, he really lay, gets, lays into them in a lot of clear ways, but he starts with this idea of thanksgiving. I don't think he's blowing smoke here. I think what he's saying is before you start, remember that God is at work in the people that you're ministering to. That's what God spoke to my heart about. Sometimes, personally, I'm, I'm slow to give thanks because people are people. And, and people have issues. Of course, I don't have any issues. Of course, my, my life is just, per honey, shh, okay, all right. All right, don't talk to my wife. She can give different stories. But here's the, here's the point. People are people, and sometimes I forget to give thanks because all I see is the issues. Paul's writing Corinth, and Corinth had some issues, but he's, before he ever starts, he says, but I'm thankful because I still know God's working in your life. And, and it was important for me to remember this week that in working with people, which is the heart of ministry, that a great place to start is, I'm just thankful, God, that you put me with these people. As <laughs> messed up as they might be, as messed up as Corinth was, God, I'm thankful for what you're doing in their lives. I'm thankful, God, for these people. Can I challenge you, ministers, to think, just remember that? When you come to that point and you're just, you've had it up to here with, with people, stop and say, but God, I'm thankful for those. I, I, boy, I'm not real happy with what, but I'm thankful, God, that you put these people in my life. There's a reason why we're connected. There's a reason why you want me there and you want them here. So God, I just want to thank you. You're still at work in their life, and I'm thankful for that. Does that make sense? In fact, let me just say this. Let me just stop and say, God, thank you for Calvary Baptist Church. Thank you for you guys. Thank you, God, for putting me here to minister to this group of people. 
Not a perfect church, but God's at work here. Thank you, God, for that. That's how Paul starts. I'm thankful for you. Keep reading. Let me, let me show you what else he does personally. He goes on with this gratitude, verse number 9 and 10, and we've read part of it. Look what he says. God, he is my witness. In other words, remember, even though we've never met, you can trust what I'm about to say. He says, God is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. Paul says, not only am I thankful for you, but I am constantly praying for you. What another way of relationship. Do you see what Paul's doing? He said, folks, I've never met you, but you are in, the, you are in my prayer list constantly. Now, is, is Paul using, you know, this is a, the, the, the idea of, of, again, is he exaggerating? Is he constantly, we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute, but let me just share something happened this week, twice this week, some just randomly. Two different people, completely uh, unrelated as far as their, 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 but the two people sent me a text just in the middle of the day and said, Pastor, I just was thinking about you, and I want you to know I prayed for you right now. Man, I don't know, other than God said, did you see what I just did there? Did you see how God connected that, right? But do you know what that does to a day when you know that somebody is praying for you and they mean it? Now, I know sometimes, and, and I don't mean this facetiously, we'll walk out of here and go, I'll pray for you this week. And that feels good. But you, you're wondering, I wonder if it really happened. Just be honest. We're all a little skeptical, right? Because you get busy. But when someone stops in the middle of their day and says, hey, I just prayed for you, that's amazing. Because we know that we're not on this alone, and we know someone else cares enough to, for us to go to God. Think about this. It really, it means as much, if not more, to hear someone's praying for you, and you know that it's happening, as for them to say, I love you. Because here's the point. If they're truly praying for you, they do love you. You know that. If they're taking you to the throne of God and saying, God, help them, you know that's because they care about you, and they love you. So here's, my, here's what Paul is saying. Folks, I, I, I'm thankful for you, and I want you to know I'm praying for you constantly. And that's where this relationship, that's where discipleship is. It's about this, this idea of this continual. Let's talk about that word constantly. That, that sounds, again, it sounds almost exaggerated. But Paul's used that word before. Uh, in other places, we, one of the most famous, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he says, pray without ceasing. It's the same word, pray constantly. And some of us go, well, that's a little tough, right? Especially if you feel like to pray, you have to have your eyes closed. Because that makes driving a little difficult, okay, to pray constantly. You understand what I'm saying? So uh, what does he mean? Is that even, are you just exaggerating, Paul? Let me see if maybe these words help. The word constantly, the, the idea is, is one, it's one of those that, that bothersome cough that you have, they use the word constantly for that. Have you ever had one of those? It's just like, <coughs> and you can't, and, and a few minutes later you're like, <coughs> because there's this little tickle, this bother. They use the word constantly. Now, it wasn't like it was forever constant. It didn't have a break, but it just, was, it just, was, just seemed to always be there. They also, also used the word for soldiers who were battering a, a city gate, tear, wanting to tear down the walls, and so they continually pound it and pound it and pound it and pound it, right? And that's the same word they used constantly. So it wasn't like that they did that for 24-7. It's it just that it was this constant, like it just never went away. So think about this. He says, I am just continually going to God. I'm continually, and you are just always on my mind. And when I pray, I'm praying for you. And when I'm praying, I'm praying often. And I'm just continually hammering the doors of heaven on your behalf. Does that make sense? That's what prayer is. And that's what Paul says about if you love people and you understand ministry, he says, I am constantly in prayer for you. So again, God reminds me, dude, some of the stuff that you do during the day is really important 
But one of the most important things you could do is just to stop and pray for those people who you're so thankful for. And to make that a constant thing. And, and I try, I honestly do, but there are days when I get done with the day and I think, boy, I didn't even lift them up in prayer. So I'm making a commitment publicly to you that that's, that's what God is showing me. This relationship is about, it's, I'm thankful for you. I'm constantly praying for you. He also used this theme in many of his letters. Let me show you an example. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, he said, We constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and by his power he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Again, he's praying, but he's specific. I'm not just, just saying I pray for you. I'm praying about your spiritual growth. I'm praying for the things in your life. It's getting to know them and getting and just as you know them, pray, lift them up specifically to God for what he has. He says, I am constantly, constantly praying for them. Do you realize that prayer, and I love this analogy, prayer bridges gaps between things. For instance, Paul's never met the people in Rome. He's never been to Rome, but he can still pray for them. And, and in his prayer, that bridges a gap. I'm connected to you. And though I've never even, I don't even know your names, but I'm connected because I can pray. Do you, do you realize that you can pray for a person throughout the week that you may never see again until next Sunday? And it bridges that gap. You're connected to them because you're praying for them. Think about that. You can pray for our missionaries clear across the world, and you may never visit them. You have no desire to visit them. You may never see them again on this side, but you can connect with them by, we're, we're both, we're praying to the same God. And do you understand the connection that prayer has? But if you take that a little bit further, prayer can also bridge the gap between maybe some anger or bitterness between you and another person. If you truly love them and you're willing to pray for them, it can bridge a gap that's torn down by bad relationships, bad memories. Prayer has that kind of power. And Paul said, listen, guys, I've never met you, but I pray for you constantly. That's part of this relation. That's what the heart of ministry is all about. So let me, let me continue. Verse number 10, he gives another, his third statement. But before he does, verse number 11 is where he'll say it. But verse 10, he ends this way. And I pray... That now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. He prayed for them, but then he also had another prayer. And that prayer was, I've never met you, but I really want to. That's my desire. We talked about it last week. That was his, he felt like God wanted to be there. And he said, I'm coming, but, but I've, not, I've not been there yet. And here's the third part of this, this relationship. And that's, here's what Paul is saying. I want to be with you. I'm praying for you. Fantastic. I am, I am thinking about you. I'm praying for you. All those things are mine. But I, I, and here's how he goes on to say, verse number 11, look what the words he starts with. I long to see you. That word long in the Greek is a very powerful word. It literally means I hurt inside for my desire to see you. I, I want to see you so badly that it hurts. Have you ever had that kind of idea? One, one commentator put it this way. He literally said, I am homesick for you. Wait a second. How can you be homesick for somebody you've never met? You've never been there. How can you be homesick? Because the, the desire is so great that I want to hang out with you. I want to be, in your, I want to be around you. and I want to see that, that relationship. My heart aches for you. Let's be honest. Do you have that kind of desire and feeling for your brothers and sisters in Christ? My heart aches because I, I want to, you're my brothers and we're family. And I, I want to be together with you. Do we have that, we have that kind of, you, some, of you, some of us would say, well, 
Paul didn't know the Romans. That's why he wanted to know them, wanted to be with them so bad. If you really knew them, you might have wanted. And, and that's what we, but be honest. Sometimes as life goes, things go, life gets busy, things happen, problems arise. We, we start to, we can start to lose that desire to, to fellowship, to connect with, with our brothers and sisters. Keep, keep reading what it says. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And he goes on to tell him, listen, I wanted to come to you and it just hasn't worked out yet. And he says, so that we, I might have a harvest among you just as I've had among the other Gentiles. Paul is saying, listen, I want to be with you. And there's, verse number 11 makes sense. I want to come and I want to strengthen you. I want to help you. I want to see you grow. I'm going to preach to you. I want to give you this stuff and help you to grow. Paul's excited. That makes sense. But look at the next phrase. And he says, and not only that, but I, want, I know that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Paul's saying, listen, if I come and encourage you, God will enable you to then encourage me. This is going to be a, a, a give and take relationship. That's what church is all about. That's what the fellowship, the relationship, discipleship is meant to be, is that together we make each other stronger. I'm looking forward to being with you, not so just so I'm going to give something to you, but I know that together, we're going to, one man puts it this way, this is called concurrent encouragement. As I encourage you, you encourage me. That's the way church is supposed to work. That's the way the relationship, discipleship is supposed to be. As I give, and as I give, I am also know that if I'm building this relationship, I'm going to receive that in turn, that, that as together. Here, here's a couple of things that, that I've known. This has been something that has to grow in, in many of our lives, and it's had to grow in my life. And, and even recently, here's what, God has put me in a group of people on a Sunday night, our life group, and, and uh, he's put me with a group of guys, and even last night, he has surrounded me with a group of deacons and their wives, and we're together. And here's what's happened over the years is sometimes, yeah, you hang out with those people. It was great. The food was phenomenal. It always is. You go home. You're full. And it, but, but last night, I went home encouraged in my faith because I was hanging out with other believers. And I wasn't just hanging out with them, but I heard their stories, and I heard them say, and heard them pray for me. And I, and I went there, hopefully they got encouraged by something I said, but here's what I know. I left there. When I go to my group on Sunday nights, if you would have told me this a few years ago, it's kind of like, well, yeah, groups are important. But now, I look forward to that group because I hope that they're learning from me. But when I leave, every time we leave, it's like, man, that was good. Did you? That was cool. These guys, do you understand what I'm getting at, folks? Maybe this is a growing relationship, but it's that important that you understand that God never meant for us to do this alone, that we, we need each other, the relationships. We, but part of it is going to be that, that desire, that are we going to take the step? Are we going to, are we going to have that, that, that true uh, pursuit of that? Listen to Hebrews 10. This gives a whole new light to this verse, which I've used a lot. He, the writer says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. There it is, that concurrent encouragement. Not giving up meeting together, as some is in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Two things in there. You've got to be together if you're going to encourage each other, and when you get together, be intentional about encouraging one another. We're together in a church body. It's so easy to come in here and say, hi, how's it going? Sit down, turn around and leave and not encourage anyone. As, even as big as this room is, if we will come in here with the intention of, I want to encourage someone before I leave, right? Or we come into this, to our small group and yes, we're going to be encouraged, but I want to intentionally encourage someone. So we hang out together and we intentionally encourage one another. God said, that's the way I've intended it to be. That's what church is. That's what the relationship is all about.
But I read this, let me share a story I read. Henry Nouwen, he's a, he's a Christian author. He wrote a book, and, and in his book he tells this story, and this one just kind of hit me right between the eyes. He says there was a time pressure that he was feeling. He was a professor at a university, and he says, and I, I was finding that I could never get anything done. It didn't seem like because people just kept interrupting me. He said the students would come in, and he said, I even would put the, the sign on my door, do not disturb. You've done that, right? And somebody goes, hey, do you mind, right? And they still disturb anyway. The students would come in, interrupt. He said, I, and, and, and in his own words, he said, I felt like all the interruptions were messing up my work. But that changed one day when he said, I felt God say to me, and listen to this quote, my son, be at peace. Those interruptions are your work. Really, God? Yes, that's the truth. I, I know there are times we have things we have to get done, but do you realize that the people God brings in our life, that is who God has called for whatever reason. That sphere of influence becomes our sphere of ministry. And those are the people that God has called us to. So it's, I, I, I long, he says, to, to be with you. I, I want to share that, that relationship, relationship together. I'm thankful for you, I pray for you, and, and I want to connect with you. I want to be with you. Okay, those statements kind of describe Paul. Let me, let me now see if we can get practical. What was the motivation? How do you do that? How do you develop or maybe restore? Maybe your heart has, has lost that desire. How do we bring it back? How do we get it involved? Let me show you the motivation. Verse 14 again. There's some really powerful phrases he says. He starts this way. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Three statements he says. I am obligated. I am eager. And I am not ashamed. Paul's attitude. And this is what I want to encourage you. Fellow ministers, we're ministering together. The heart of ministry is people. Sometimes that's a hard thing. How do we how do we keep that motivation going? Asking God, God, give me these particular attitudes. Help me to understand. Let me look at the first one, verse fourteen. I am obligated. Some translations, I am under obligation. The King James says, I am debtor, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise or to the foolish. Simply stated, here's what I would say: I am concerned about others. Let me explain what those words mean. When you see the word obligated, you see the word I'm under obligation, maybe that, that comes across heavy, but here's what the word literally means. It means I'm in debt. I owe something. That's why the King James uses the word I'm a debtor. There's a, there's a principle, and so now I have this moral obligation to pay my debts. I have a personal duty to pay what I owe. He says I'm a debtor, and, and he, part of his attitude was he realized that the, the, the realm of his life, part of it was there was a debt that he needed to pay. Now let's, ex, let's make sure we understand that. Before salvation, please, you say, well, okay, so what, who is the debt? Before salvation, all of us are in absolute unpayable debt to God. Our sins keep us, there's no way, there's a debt that we'll never be able to pay. But Jesus, when he died on the cross, he paid our debt. He paid our debt of sin. There's an old uh, country gospel song. It says that uh, I, I owed a debt I could not pay, and he paid a debt that he did not owe, right? That's, that's the gospel in a nutshell. It's the idea that I owe a debt to God I could never pay. Jesus paid it. So here's the point. Jesus paid all my debts. 
And there is nothing that I can do to repay God. So salvation is not this God saying, okay, now you look what I did. Now you owe me something. God, we don't, we're not debtors to God for our salvation. We, there's nothing we could ever do to repay what Jesus did for us. So he's not saying, you're, you're, I'm in debt because God's done this, and so now I owe God. That's, that's not the point. It, what he's talking about is this debt is, in Christ, what it, I'm a debt to is I have been given this massive amount of grace. My debt is to share this grace with others who need it. I'm in debt to people. I'm in debt because I have something that they need, and I'm in debt to, to share this. That's why verse 5, he says, I've received grace and apostleship. Now, verse 14, I'm, I'm a debtor. He, he, he says, you're not paying God back. You're, here's the saying we use, you're paying it forward. You're seeing what God has done, and you're realizing because of all I have, I should be giving that. I should be, I'm in debt to share that with others. You've probably heard stories like this, but there was in a paper not too long ago, a lady who she got to the checkout line, and some of you have been there. She's got everything done, and she's $4 short, right? She can't, and she's rifling through her purse and everything. When the guy behind her, she's never met before, just simply looked at the cashier and says, just put that one on my, on my tab. But he wouldn't give her a name. He, wouldn't, she didn't, he was just trying to help. And so he left, she left, didn't know who it was until the next day the paper got a, a, a report that this lady had given $4 to a local charity, and she wrote these words. This is what she wrote in the paper, published it. This check is for the man who helped me out of a tight spot. I came up with the idea of giving it to you as a thank you to him. Paul says, I'm a debtor. God, you've given me so much, and in my thankfulness for what you've done, I want to give that to somebody else. Because I realize that I am under obligation to share what I have. My, your grace is so massive that I need to share it with someone else. I'm a debtor because I have so much and I need to give. I need to, to give to others. And that's what Paul says. I, in fact, I find it interesting. We'll find this later in Romans chapter number 13. Now, Dave Ramsey would love this first part. It says, oh, no man anything, right? Amen, right? Don't owe people stuff. Except, look what he says, except to love one another. You are in debt. Pay it. God has been gracious to you, then share that grace with somebody else. If we come out of this motivated, lead this service, realizing I am just immensely blessed with grace, so I'm in debt to share that grace with someone else who needs it. That's what Paul lived his life, saying I'm a debtor. I have a moral obligation based on everything I've been given to share that with somebody else, to share that and to give that grace, give that grace to others. Uh, General William Booth, some of you may recognize that name, he founded the Salvation Army. Back in his days, he, he actually was given an audience with the Queen of England, Queen Victoria. And in, she was just impressed by all the work he did, especially in the slums. And she said to him, what's your secret of success? Because everything was just seemed to be blossoming in his work. And, he, and here was his response. He said, some people have a passion for money. Some people have a passion for things. I have a passion for people. I'm a debtor. I've been given so much, I have a passion to now share that with others, which leads us to the next verse, verse 15. That's why I'm so eager. Or the version says, I am ready to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I would summarize it this way. I am committed I am ready to jump in and do what God has called me to do. Here's how Paul lived his life. I'm a debtor. I have this moral obligation because I'm so blessed to give. And I also live knowing that I am eager. I'm ready 
at whatever time to give what God and to do what God has called me. The word ready means a willingness, a presupposition. It, it's a strong term that literally means I'm ready, willing, and able. God, I, I see that I've got so much, I'm, and so I am ready now, whatever it is, I'm ready in this moment, in this room, I'm ready as I walk out that door. I am ready, I'm on, I'm on mission, God. I'm ready, willing, and able to do what you've called me to do. I, put me in, coach, I'm ready to play. That's the idea of this word, is I am ready, God. I am eager to do this. What he's saying is not only are my emotions engaged because of God's love and because of all these, I I get it, I'm I'm a debtor, but now my will is engaged and I am ready now to do what God has called me to do. If if you will wake up in the morning, you'll leave this room saying, God, I get it, I'm a debtor, you've given me so much. So now, as scared as I may be, you put the opportunity there, I'm gonna take it. Because I promise you the opportunity will be there for you to share that grace, to do something that God, you just say, I'm ready, willing, and able. What this does is it takes away your excuses. The, the first excuse most of us will use is, I'm too busy. Join the club. Every one of us in this room is too busy. But if we allow that to be our excuse, we'll never see what God has. I'm ready, willing, and able, God. That means that if you orchestrate this opportunity, you're also going to orchestrate the, the, the ability for me to get it done and to do what has to be done. Because, again, it's not the stuff that matters. People are the heart of ministry. So, God, I'm ready, willing, and, and able. I want to go to the last, this last statement. Verse number 16, Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Now we're gonna dive into these next few verses more next week, but I wanna carry that third phrase, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am, I, God, I am, I'm a debtor, I get it, I have an obligation, I'm ready, it, just, just send me, I'm ready to go, and now he says, and I am not ashamed, which I would say I am, I'm confident. God, I know what you've done, I know who you are, I know what you've done in my life, and I step out with confidence, not in me, but in who you are and what you've done. Look at this verse again. For I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Ministers of God, do you realize that within you is the power that raised Jesus from the dead? The Holy Spirit is, lives within us. Within you is the ability to do what God has called you. And you know it's there because he's changed your life. The power of God still changes people's lives. So he says, you can walk out of here ready, willing, and able with confidence to know that if you do what God has called you to do, he'll make something of that. Because it's not you, it's the power of God within you that's going to do something and do the work that he's called you to do. The power of God. Think about this. The power of God to salvation, which we're going to learn about next week. But what, we're going to, what I find really interesting is this gospel, this power of God, it's seen in two ways. One, it's in when you come to Jesus and you realize you're a sinner and he saves you. The gospel of his death, burial, and resurrection. If, if you're here this morning and you've not accepted the gift of Jesus, Jesus died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again to give you new life. When you recognize that need and you come to him and say, God, forgive me, and he saves you and he begins to change your life, that's the gospel. But what you're going to find in Romans is the gospel doesn't stop at salvation. The gospel is also what's going to change your life. The power of God in you is not only power to save you from your sins, but now to make you what God wants you to be. In fact, if you go back to one of these verses that we were just looking at, verse number 15, Paul said this. He says, I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. You are in Rome. Those are already Christians. 
In fact, verse 7, we know they are because he says all are loved by God, called by his holy, his holy people. In verse 8, we already said your faith is being reported. He, he was already commending their faith. So when he's telling, I'm going to preach the gospel to you, he's not saying so that you can be saved. They're already saved. The, the, the gospel had saved them, but he's going to preach the gospel that's going to help them to grow, to help them to be, to help them to become what God wants them to be. Here's the truth of the gospel. You need the gospel today either to come to Jesus and say, forgive me my sins and, and make me a, one of your children, or you're going to need the gospel on a daily basis to live, to grow, to know, to, to share with others, to do what God, the, the gospel is the power, and it works every time. Here's what I know about this, this truth, that Paul's saying, hey, listen, you want to do this? Be ready, willing, and able to take this gospel, share this with anybody that, that, that you see, share God's love, be, be on mission for, for God. We have, we have the privilege of knowing some great missionaries through Calvary Baptist. Some of them are actually right out of our church. The Wendells and the Goodmans and the Reams, right, right out from the church of Taylorville. Here, here's what I know. You may, you may never get a chance to go to Africa or Haiti or Australia. You may not even want to go to Haiti, Australia, or Africa. But the same work that they're doing there, is the same work God has called us to do here. You don't have to go where they go, but you do have to do what they do. We're ministers, and as ministers, the ministry is people. People need the gospel, whether it is the gospel that will save them or the gospel that help them to grow, and God has called us. And if we'll, if we'll understand that that's what we're here for, God will use us to share that gospel with others. I want to end with a challenge this week. Take out your pens if you haven't yet. On the side of your thing, I want you to think of three names. Three names of some people that your heart could touch. Remember, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Real discipleship is when your heart touches another. Think of three people whose your life, your heart could touch this week. I want you to think, write their names down to the side, and then even think through what is something you could do to help touch their life this week. Maybe it's a note of encouragement. Maybe it's a text like I got that just says, I'm praying for you. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a helping them with a need that they have. Maybe it's just sharing your story of what Christ has done in your life or even sharing the, the actual, the, the gospel of how they can be saved. What is it? Three names. How could God use you, your heart, to touch their heart this week? The, the ministry, the heart of ministry is when one heart touches another. What, what could you do this week, even in the lives of those three people? Would you bow your heads with me, please? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Paul has turned this wonderful truth of the gospel into something so very personal. It's from one heart to another. It's important for us, important for me to remember that. It's important for all of us. We're all ministers, and the ministry is the people, and the people need to know the gospel, the truth of Jesus. How are we going to let God use us this week to share that? There, there could be one in this room or more who have not yet received the gospel for salvation. You've not yet received the gift of eternal life. And today, God has reminded you, or God has shown you, first and foremost, that this is what you need. Jesus loves you and Jesus gave his life 
so that you could have forgiveness? Have you received that gift? If not, right from where you're seated, you could say, God, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve your grace, your mercy, but I believe Jesus died and rose again. And I ask you today to save me, to forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you with my life. Or maybe the gospel is of such that you realize what you need today is to come and say, God, I need the gospel to change me, to continue to, to, to work in my life. And here's some things, Lord, that you're talking to me about, and I, I surrender those to you. Or maybe it's, God, the people that you put around me help me to be thankful for them, to pray for them, to encourage them. Help me to realize I'm a debtor, I'm obligated, but I also, Lord, to know that your power is in me to do a great work. What is God saying to you today? Father, we love you. I believe you've shown us some wonderful things today. And I pray that we'll take them and apply them specifically to our life, to our sphere of influence, to the people who are the ministry that you've put us in. We love you, Father.